Hi, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. Recently, we have been asking for feedback from our listeners and have been getting requests for more population-specific content. We heard you and are answering your request today with a special episode that I have been wanting to do for a long time. Today, we are so fortunate to have a conversation with Rochelle Morgan, MAMTBC, who is the founder of Soundscaping Source, where her mission is to bring meaningful music experiences to older adults and their caregivers all the way to the end of life. Rochelle has been in clinical practice as a music therapist since 2004, and she maintains a private practice in Kansas City, Missouri, where her team serves older adults in senior living and hospice. Rochelle is on the faculty of St. Mary of the Woods College and is in demand as a speaker, consultant, and staff trainer on topics related to music and elder care. Rochelle is passionate about empowering music therapists in their work with older adults and as business owners. Check out soundscapingsource.com to learn how to get Rochelle's help as a mentor and to find a ton of great resources on music with older adults. We will add links to all of Rochelle's resources and her website in the show notes so you can access those easily. As a final reminder, you can watch this conversation on our YouTube channel. Just search for Music Therapy and Beyond. With that, let's give a warm welcome to Rochelle Morgan and get right into the conversation. Well, welcome, Rochelle. We are so glad to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, first, um, tell our listeners a little bit about you, who you are, your clinical background, and kind of how we got here today. Okay. Well, I've been a board-certified music therapist since 2004, so coming up on 18 years this year. Um, I was lucky enough to find out about music therapy when I was a junior in high school. So I, when I went to do college tours and everything, I looked at, at universities that had a music therapy program and did my undergraduate in music therapy at the University of Evansville. Um, I did my internship at Music Works of California and then um, started my private practice in Wichita, Kansas, because I wanted to move back and be close to my family. And at that time, there weren't any music therapy jobs in the area. So I had to start something on my own if I wanted to practice music therapy. So I started my business, practiced for a couple of years, and um, wanted to continue to deepen and expand my knowledge in music therapy. And so I pursued a distance master's in music therapy program through St. Mary of the Woods College um, and finished that program in 2010. So I have my master's in music therapy. Um, and 2008, I moved my business and my life up to Kansas city and I've been here ever since. So being in private practice at the very beginning, I worked with lots of different clinical populations in many different settings. Um, just trying to get work wherever I could, where I was competent to do it, you know, um, mm-hmm. being a music therapist on my own. This was before podcasts, before social media, before we had a really good um, network of connections. And so I was kind of isolated out on my own. Um, 
getting my business started in the middle of Kansas. Um, but I early on kind of figured out that working with older adults was something that was I was really good at and that I felt really passionate about working with seniors in um, senior living settings and also working in hospice were two of the areas where I got a lot of contracts early on and really felt that I was doing some of my best work. I also worked with um, kids in school settings. I worked with adolescents in residential treatment settings and those were not as good of a fit. So I did my work competently, but it just, it just wasn't the right fit for me. And I could tell that. So that's kind of the early stage of my career when I was figuring out where my skills, where my, my tendencies really were to working with older adults. And so by the time I moved up to Kansas City, I decided that I really wanted to narrow my focus to working with older adults. And so that's the focus of my business now is serving older adults and some younger adults in a variety of settings across the metro. Very cool. Now, I know that your business is a little bit multifaceted and you offer some really cool online resources. So tell us a little bit about all of the things that your practice is doing. Sure. Yeah. So the overall purpose of my business is to make sure that everybody, we believe that everybody deserves access to meaningful music experiences all the way to the end of life, no matter what kind of cognitive or physical limitations might be getting in the way. So everything we do at Soundscaping Source is in service of that mission. So we do direct music therapy services, but we also support music therapists who are doing that work in other parts of the country and around the world. So for the last, I think, 10 years or so, we've had a membership program called MT Insider, where music therapists have access to peer supervision weekly. They have access to office hours with me for some private supervision and business coaching. We release a monthly resource to help with session planning. We do a lot of online trainings and that are good for CMTE credit um, related to working with older adults, um, related to ethics and business and that kind of thing. We've also, uh, for Soundscaping Source, we've released two different business courses called Rock That Contract and Rock That Practice. And both of those are designed to help music therapists learn basic business skills that we don't get when we're in school because we just, we don't have time when we're in school. And to build the kind of music therapy practices that have been successful for other people across the country um, and across the world, really. So we offer those, those courses on a continuing basis, either a self-study or we offer a, a group um, class times a year for each one of those. So in that way, I, I'm really proud of that because we've been able to um, teach skills and, and provide support to a lot of music therapists and music therapy businesses to do really good work in the places where they live. And so that, that extends the reach of music therapy, of this outreach that we can do to older adults and the people who care for them. Absolutely. I think that's amazing. And I, um, I love that you have honed in on such a specific, um, and yet somehow broad population when it comes to like your practice and your, your business coaching. I think that's so valuable because there is such a great need for that exact thing. And with your experience and your passion, like you are just so well suited to do that. So 
just as a reminder for all of our our listeners and and those tuning in that I will be linking all of these um, resources. So definitely check out the work that she's doing with with Soundscaping Source. So very cool. Now, I did want to ask, because you talked a little bit about kind of how your your practice began, but in those early days when you first started, what are maybe some of the lessons that you learned either in just your clinical practice as you were leading sessions with older adults or on the business side? What are some things that you you figured out that you felt like you've you've carried with you this whole time? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, on the on the clinical side, this is a continual learning process. But when I first became a music therapist, I was I was much more rigid than I am now when it comes to session planning. And um, I came from a program where that was very behavior focused, and so tracking specific observable behaviors and trying to somehow fit that into an idea of of whether music therapy was quote unquote working or not for the people that I was serving. And um so I, I had this very um rigid is the word that that comes to mind. Just mm-hmm. a very rigid approach to doing music with older adults. I you know I had my session plans very planned out. And it took being in music with the folks that I worked with, it took time doing music with people to understand that that rigidity wasn't really serving us, wasn't serving them, mm-hmm. that we needed to have a lot of room for spontaneity and just being people together. Um, so now that is something that I really value in the work that I do is having a lot of music. Um, like having a, an ever expanding repertoire, for example, or having music skills that are always getting better so that I can, I can move with the clients musically in lots of different directions so that we can be in music together and, and um, experience music together in a really flexible way that's not in a box that I planned the night before or the week before for that group, thinking that I know what's best for them. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's really, um, that's something that is a lesson that I, I feel myself slowly starting to learn too. And I think that's something that comes with experience and wisdom and actually doing it and being with people while you're doing that. Um, because that's not the way that I was taught either. And I I think for a lot of young music therapists, especially that's not coming out of school, like that's not really how that works, you know, especially in the the classroom or when you're getting graded on your performance, you have to be very strict and very clinical and, and, and that type of thing. Now going off of that, I'm curious, and this is a question that I love to ask every new music therapist that I meet, what would you describe or maybe label your clinical philosophy or approach to music therapy? I love that question too. And that's one that I ask employee prospective employees when I interview people. Um, I would describe my approach as music centered. I feel like when there are questions about what to do in a music therapy session, that the answer is going to be in the music or in the process of music. Mm. 
And when you're looking for ways to improve your own skills, when you're looking for ways to deepen the process, when you're looking for ways to work around a problem or a, a conflict or some kind of an obstacle that you come into in music therapy sessions, that the answer is going to be in the music somewhere. So um, one of my favorite books is Music-Centered Music Therapy. I think that's the full title by Ken Agin. Mm -hmm. And um, that one really shifted my thinking about music therapy about the time I was going to grad school. Yes. His writings have also been greatly shaping me. I am actually currently getting my master in music therapy through a distance learning program at Alverno College. So kind of similar to the track that you took. And his writings in particular have like kind of rocked my clinical world of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like thinking, mm-hmm. thinking a little bit beyond my very cognitive behavioral background. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been a really good challenge and creative challenge for me personally. So I, resonate I have to say that. that one piece that goes along with that is that I have a very broad understanding of music as well. Um, Brian Abrams talks about music as a temporal aesthetic way of being. So it's not just sound forms. It's not just um, rhythm and harmony and melody, although you can use those as metaphors for lots of different things. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of being, moving through time, being concerned with beauty. So you can see music in the way that we interact with each other as humans, even if someone were to walk in the room and it sounds like just typical conversation or something like that. So um, when I'm saying that we're music centered, I'm I'm thinking of this big concept of of music. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really um, a pivotal shift in the way that you practice. Like that really kind of sets you on a different, in a different mindset right off the bat in the way that you interact with, people in a session or not in a session, you know, like just everything about what you're doing and preparing. And, um, I really like that, especially for this population, I think in the work that you're doing that just, that just works so beautifully and for all people. But, um, so with that, could you speak a little bit to what your, um, your documentation looks like? And I know you talked about, um, how progress doesn't necessarily have to be like this many out of this many trials or, you know, like the very rigid clinical kind of, um, data taking. So what does that look like for you and, and, and your clients? How do you kind of mark what that looks like or do you at all? Does it even matter? Documentation does matter because it's part of our standards of practice. And mm-hmm. when you're I, I, I really believe that when we're doing documentation well, then it serves our practice. It helps us to clarify our thinking about what is occurring during a session so that we can plan for the next session so we can prepare ourselves for future sessions. So the trick or the shift is figuring out how to do documentation in such a way that it's serving your practice and isn't just busy work. I think that a lot of forms of documentation 
um, can become um, busy work, especially in a, in a lot of, especially in senior living settings, working as a contractor, coming in from the outside, they don't want our documentation. They don't want to read <laughs> what we write at the end of sessions. They don't want to pay us to do documentation. So we have a very short period of time to complete documentation. And then um, whatever it is that we do, it has to serve our purposes. So we do for senior living settings, we do all of our, everything that we do, we do in Google Drive and we have forms that we use. We track um, on a group blog, each person has their own tab and we track um, how they participate in music. You know, if they're singing, if they're participating verbally, if they're doing movement to music. And then we have room for a really brief narrative if there's something significant that happens during the session. And then that way we can look back over our spreadsheet and see patterns of musical participation over time. We can see patterns of attendance and levels of awareness or participation. And from that, for the facilities that we go to or this, the communities that we go to, we can generate a report that says, this is how many people are coming to music therapy. These are some of the goals that we're working on, you know, and then, you know, this is, um, share some of that, some of that data in aggregate. And then we share a couple of um, like anecdotes of two or three individual participants just to give them a, a, an overall um, picture of their music therapy program. So that's how we do documentation in yeah. a way that serves us for our clinical practice and then serves the community that we go to, to see how their music therapy program is functioning. They can have access to all of that that data if they want it, but they typically don't ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of preparation, cause that's kind of the, um, like the end summary in terms of preparation or when you're leading a session, what are some, some elements or aspects or things that you feel are non-negotiables things that you always want to make sure to include? Um, or are there things that are kind of standards that you make sure to include in every session or every group or um, every interaction that you have? Mm -hmm. I think I have different standards of preparation in different settings, depending on whether it's a one-on-one -on -one session or a group session. In group sessions, most of the time we're going to be doing movement to music, singing, and some instrument playing, typically in that order, with an opening song and a closing song to tie it all together. Um, so we typically are doing theme-based sessions. So we come in with some kind of a theme or some kind of a uniting idea with a bunch of different musical ideas that are attached to that theme. But again, not being rigid, like we're not going to be too attached to that. And if the residents want to go in a different direction, then we are free to go in a different direction. Um, so I think the key to being prepared there and this extends to one-on-one. -on -one. So in one-on-one -on -one sessions are a little bit more loose. Like we can't, we have those possibilities of doing movement. We have a possibility of playing instruments 
And so we bring that equipment with us. Um, we bring a speaker so we can use recorded music if that's going to be appropriate. But um, I, I don't typically do like a hello song and a goodbye song with one-on-one clients because we, gr- we have like a verbal greeting and, and that kind of thing. So, but in both settings, I think a, a key to being prepared is really having a large repertoire of music and both having a lot of songs that you can sing and that you can perform live as well as having access to a whole lot of recorded music and knowing how to get to it quickly. So knowing what songs are um, going to be useful or appropriate for different kinds of musical experiences. Like if somebody brings up Dolly Parton and you're wanting to do a movement to music experience, well, nine to five is going to work great for that. So just having that knowledge in your head and then being able to find it on Spotify really quick and then play it um, is something that a level of preparation that I think people can strive for to have that kind of um, musical knowledge. Maybe you don't have nine to five memorized so you can play it on the guitar, but you know that that song is available to use within a session for a movement to music experience. Yeah. Now I know at least I have felt this way at times and I'm sure other people could probably relate. Sometimes it feels like you get in a bit of a repertoire rut. Um, And sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit of inspiration to kind of get out of that or to, to put, to be willing to put in the work to, to, work on that and to expand your repertoire. Do you have any advice for how to do that or or any tools on how to, to make that more fun or get inspired to grow your repertoire? Yeah. Um, I, lots of suggestions for that, but I'll give a couple of specific ones. One thing that we do as part of our MT insider membership is that we do repertoire sharing on a regular basis. So once a quarter, we have a meeting where we share new repertoire. And so it's an opportunity to get on a Zoom meeting with everybody and play a new song that you've been learning, or if you've been working on licks or um, a new intro to a song or something like that, then you can share it. So we get to have that musical sharing with our community, but it's also a little kick in the pants to get your song learned. Of course, I'm often learning it the day before or the day of, but I still learn a new song, right? So that's one thing that we've built into our program. But we're also, during the month of May, are doing a repertoire challenge called Rev Up Your Repertoire. This is open to the whole music therapy community, um, professionals, students, interns. And during this challenge, you're going to learn four new songs, one from each of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the challenge is to learn a new song from each of those decades, to come up with some discussion questions or a theme that could work for that song. And then to come up with some kind of an instrument or movement kind of experience that could work with that song. So to record your participation in the challenge, you fill out a form with the, the, with the song, with the theme, with the instrument or movement ideas. And if you complete the challenge, then you get to have a compilation of everybody's songs and everybody's ideas. And so you have this, all of this session inspiration as well as all these songs that you you may not have heard of. One of our MT insiders was saying that she was really excited about this challenge because she likes hearing about songs that she'd never heard of before. 
I didn't even know that she wanted to know, you know, so it's part of that, part of that musical knowledge that you might not have otherwise. Absolutely. That sounds super fun. Um, And I think also the accountability of doing it with other people is probably helpful. It's that little kick in the pants and you have a little kind of like a deadline, (laughs) you know? Right. And it's, it's gentle accountability. I mean, nobody's going to come track you down and make sure you, you do it, but there is a little bit of an incentive for learning your songs and um, you get a little reward at the end if you participate. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So for those listening um, that are curious about how to expand their practice into working with older adults and elder care, what is some advice on how to go about doing that? And I, you know, where, where do you start? Where should you, what kind of facilities might you look at? How do you figure out what's going to be the best route to even get started with something like that? Okay. Well, in, in the business classes that we do, Rock That Contract and Rock That Practice, we always start with thinking about why you want to do this in the first mm-hmm. place. So thinking mm-hmm. about your values and um, going into private practice or going into business is not easy necessarily. So make sure it's a step that you really want to put some time and effort into. You might be able to pick up a couple of contracts pretty easily, but then it could be slow growth after that. But the main thing that you need to do is just start getting yourself out there, telling people that you're available to provide music therapy. Get on the phone and call places and let them know that you're available to provide music therapy. Um, Go to open houses, go to senior networking events. Go to um, senior fairs when they have those kind of events or health fairs where you can meet representatives from these different places and just let them know that you're open for business and that you're available. Uh, For senior living communities particularly, they're always looking for entertainers, quote unquote entertainers, and music therapists fit um, right under that like budget line. So there's a budget that can pay for music therapy or at least to get a music therapy program started. So if you um, position yourself as somebody who can fill that entertainment role and fill it even way better than an entertainer can, then that can get your foot in the door. And then you can start delivering your messages about music therapy and what a difference they can make and how you can involve people that typically are falling asleep during entertainment or don't want to come out during an entertainment program. So yeah. then you can get, your, get the ball rolling for a music therapy program that you really want to have. Yeah. It sounds like everyone who's interested just really needs to take your business courses because I think you probably have so (laughs) so much more to say and to teach on that. And um, yeah, that was a really great little nugget though. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. So how did your business adapt um, during COVID? Because obviously this (laughs) is like for many practices, still a very real um, struggle and something that different businesses are still trying to kind of work around. But obviously, for elder care in particular, I know a lot of them shut down. A lot of them were no longer 
um, allowing visitors or service providers to come in. So what did that look like for you all and how were you able to, to adapt during all of that? Right. Yeah. I mean, just like many other music therapy businesses, our clinical practice dropped by like 75% overnight. Yeah. Um, 90% of our clinical work was gone because we couldn't go into senior living communities. And although we rapidly offered telehealth, we tried to make it very easy for people to um, jump into telehealth. We did not have a lot of, of um, uptake on that. We still have um, a cut like two or three clients, private clients and one senior living community that are doing telehealth with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped. We also got a disaster relief contract with our uh, community mental health organization. And so that gave us an opportunity to do older adult outreach in the community and mm-hmm. serve older adults in a different way than music therapy for the for almost two years that contract lasted. Wow. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So that was that was that was what saved our company really was that contract. That's amazing. Um, anyway, but things are largely back to normal now. We're back into most of the senior living communities that we had before the pandemic and we've picked up a lot of new places. Um, of course we are wearing masks everywhere still. Um there fewer and fewer places are requiring proof of vaccination, although we're all vaccinated. Um, we're still social distancing and cleaning our instruments after every session and doing all those kinds of precautions. And we have our um, infection control protocols up on our website. So we can send a link to that to anybody who has questions about how we do things. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that you guys have I've been able to get creative and keep going and now you're back. Thank goodness. Yeah. Have you found, have you found, um, maybe a greater value or greater interest in what you're doing after the pandemic? You know, I know that isolation was really, really, really difficult for many, many older adults. Um, so have you found that facilities are just, extra appreciative of the work that you all are doing or have you had more interest in getting your services right away? Yeah. Facilities. Yes. But especially hospices, we've seen a huge growth in hospices wanting to work with us. Um, I think there's like you mentioned that there's just people were so lonely and so isolated and just this craving to be together and not just to be together, but to be together in meaningful ways. Yeah. And to be together in ways that we can just share our humanity and not have to focus on the, on the, the really sad stuff and the really difficult part of being in a pandemic together, but just to share some joy, to share some beauty. That's what we get to do in music therapy. Yeah, that's huge. And I think I would even venture to say just generally as a society, I think we're all much more aware of, of that need as human beings to, to celebrate beauty and joy and be together in those meaningful ways. So I'm, I'm so thankful that you all are there and able to, to step into that even more. Mm -hmm. So 
coming out of all of that, I know a lot of music therapists experienced a great deal of burnout and um, just being discouraged. You know, many, many professionals have experienced similar things. Um, But even before that, it's hard being a music therapist and it takes inspiration and filling up your own cup. So how have you managed to stay inspired in your clinical work and how have you been able to, or, or what are some ways that you found that are helpful to, to stay inspired and kind of light your fire to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah. Um, that's shifted for me a lot over the years. The first time I really experienced burnout was a couple of years into my, into my clinical practice and going to grad school is what helped me out of that phase. Mm. Um, just deepening my knowledge and and deepening my understanding of clinical practice. So sometimes um, I'm a learner. Like that's one of my <laughs> one of my things. And so sometimes learning, like reading journal articles, reading the literature, is something that can help me. That doesn't work for everybody because sometimes when you're burned out, you know, concentrating on research literature is like poof, no not an option so <laughs> too <I'm>, much <laughs> too much exactly so but I want to throw that out there I draw a, a ton of inspiration from the people who are in MT Insider and the people who come through the courses that we do um seeing people try things out and um be at different stages of business or different stages of clinical practice all over the country, all over the world. I get a lot of inspiration from seeing other music therapists do their work. So that is something that keeps me going. My having staff now, I've had employees on my team for um about six years, seven years, something like that. And seeing them work and seeing the incredible work that they're doing when I'm not the one who's actually providing the music therapy, but because they're part of this company, we're able to provide these services. That's very inspiring to me. And then the third big thing is making music for myself. Um, during the mm. pandemic, right right before the pandemic in December of 2019, I bought a harp. And wow. so that became my pandemic instrument. <laughs> yeah. So I had it. So I was working from home. I'm in my home office right now. And I had my harp just sitting next to me. And I got to where I would, I would just pick up my harp and play um, in breaks between meetings, just in between sessions when I was feeling stressed. And that is very much my instrument that I play for myself. Mm-hmm. I bought, uh, I started with a small harp that I use with clients a little bit and I have a floor harp now and I can fit it in my car if I really try, but it mostly stays at home. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's my instrument, my music, and I play what I want on that instrument. And so that's helped me to nurture my my musicianship, my inner musician, um, to keep me inspired as a musician. And that has gone a long way in helping me to prevent um or helping me to heal from burnout and to prevent further burnout. Yeah, I think that's huge. And that's something that sometimes gets overlooked when we when we're talking about burnout especially for music therapists because sometimes it's tricky to to keep some for yourself when music is our work but i think mm-hmm. that's huge because the music that we're creating with our clients has to start in us it has to be our music and we have to share in that too because um 
we are not separate from the music making and the, the experiences that we share with our clients. We're not outside of that. We're inside of that and we're part of that. So I really love that. And that's something that, um, that I am working on trying to really carve out time for myself as well, because mm-hmm. that's, that's also really important for my well-being. <laughs> I'm just but, now getting to where, uh, and probably a lot of people are just now getting to where I get to make music with other people again, outside of work. Yeah. And that's been huge too. You know, Easter, we just had Easter and at my church, um, we got to go up and sing the hallelujah chorus at the end. I'm not in the yeah. choir, but we got to sing it if we wanted to. And I started crying halfway through because I was in the middle of this ensemble and it was, you know, big and beautiful. And I was not in charge of the music experience and yeah. holding space and containing it. I was in it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was almost overwhelming how powerful that was for me. So looking for more, not necessarily that big of an experience, but experiences where I'm a musician with other musicians, instead of having to be the therapist, holding the space, creating the opportunities, being responsible for that yeah. um, is part, I think is, is something that's really important as well. Yeah. You weren't having to facilitate. You just got to receive. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. Well, as we begin to wrap up our discussion, I wondered if there was maybe um, one idea that we could leave our listeners with for inspiration. Although this entire conversation has been inspirational and you've shared a lot of really Mm -hmm. great things to think about and you have so many great resources um, that we're just going to keep pushing people to go check out. But maybe... If you could tell us one of your go-tos in your music therapy sessions, whether that's a prop, a song, a game, or maybe your favorite session theme, what is, what is one thing that you always like to use and look forward to using? Okay. I knew this question was coming, so I thought about it. And I'm going to share a theme that I used just this last week. And we on Empty Insider, we, we release a, a resource every month. And so this is one that we just released this month um, as well. And the theme is colors. And I love this because you can, I can ask a group of older adults to think of songs for different colors. And it's amazing what they come up with. Um, so say like red and blue and orange and yellow. And what are some songs that go with those? I always pick Orange Colored Sky by Nat King Mm. Cole for the color Mm -hmm. orange um, and do movement to music with that one, the recording. Um, Yellow Submarine always works well. I like doing instruments with that one. And then we can sing um, uh, Blue Suede Shoes or we can do Red Sails in the Sunset. But people come up with great ideas. Someone came up with Purple People Eater in the group that that I did (laughs) earlier this week. And I also somebody, got that like, I have them week. in the back of my head, but when the group members come up with them and then everybody is like, that is such a great idea. That's such a good song. And everybody's so proud of each other. So I, I love doing that session with colors. So that's one of my favorites. I hope everybody gets to try that session sometime. It's really, really flexible too. Yeah, that's fun. And I'm even thinking that would be something that you could use with, um, 
maybe some even individual clients too, and see how many the both of you could work on. But for a group, that sounds like so much fun. And in the springtime too, we're seeing those colors outside. And so bringing in that awareness of beauty and nature too. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of songs that talk about flowers and plants. And so that brings in colors as well. Yeah, that's so dynamic. I love that idea. That's awesome. I'm going to try to use that one sometime for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rochelle. I have really enjoyed talking with you and learning from you and learning about all of the amazing work that you and your company are doing. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. For show notes and resources in today's episode and all episodes, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the content and announcements. We'll see you next time. 